As we're studying this and seeing uh, what has happened before us in the church, it, it has truly laid, I believe, some groundwork and some foundational, uh, not only thoughts, but principles and truths. And along the way, we've gathered those, and, and hopefully you've written them down or saved them or just maybe just meditated and prayed on them along the way. But last week, we had one of them, and one of the points was this, the church's response to the battle should look different than everyone else's. Right, and again, we were on this day. We remember what happened in 2001, and uh, the the first responders' response, in many ways, was different than everybody else's. Right, first responders were running in as people were running out, and I think that the church should look uh, that that different in the comparison to the trials and the struggles, the battles, the storms that we face in life that everybody goes through. I think the church should look that drastically different than what everybody else's response does. Again, we, we left off in our study with uh, this, this boat, this ship, approaching land. And some of the sailors, if you were here, you remember they had pretended that they were going to go and, and take the rescue boat and drop the anchors off the front of the ship. Uh, but they were just doing that as kind of a, a cloak because they were probably intending to make it to land and be like, see y'all, see y'all later. We're going to save ourselves. And uh, Paul knew what was going on, and he warned them if they did this, if they didn't stay in the ship, uh, that they weren't guaranteed to have their lives saved by, by the Lord. And so uh, the situation that the study finds us with the sailors and the centurion, uh, the guy in charge of the whole voyage, apparently listening to Paul. Now, whenever Paul warned that, we know that they cut the ropes of that rescue boat, which means all hope of a, a rescue outside of the ship was gone. They had to truly rely on what Paul said God said. And so, again, they're all listening. The guy who's in charge of Paul is listening to him. And so I want to jump into the, the text and see what the Lord has, has for us this morning. In verse 33 is where we pick up until the next day. It was about dawn, and Paul was encouraging them all to take some food. And he was saying this, Today is the 14th day that you've been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. And so this, again, gives us a little more insight onto how severe this storm was. Um, many, many people are like, they were going without food this long? Uh, well, we know for sure they weren't sitting down and having a meal in the midst of, a, of a, a violent storm that was dangerous to the point of their lives being on the verge of being lost. And so they, they hadn't at least had some meals. And so Paul's telling me, you guys haven't eaten properly or you haven't eaten altogether. Regardless, he says, now that the storm's calmed down, you guys can eat. And again, it shows us just how violent the storm was. I, I don't know that I've ever been in a situation where I was trying to survive so much and so long that I hadn't eaten for two weeks. But this is the situation they were in. Again, sometimes you can use a little bit of comparison in what scripture tells us and though our storms and our trials and the things that we go through are absolutely real and some of them are very severe and some of them are very difficult and dangerous and and life-threatening all those things these people were truly on the verge of losing their life in a violent sea storm on a ship for 14 straight days so violent so dangerous that they weren't even eating so he says this Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. You're not going to live if you don't. But he says this, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. 
which again is a promise from God that he gave to Paul for those who would be in the ship. And again, it's an amazing word that Paul is bringing to these guys. You can imagine they're, they're on the verge of starvation. They're worn. They're, they're, they're so tired. They, they've been constantly, day and night, trying to just survive and keep the ship together and, and, and stay, again, just stay alive. And finally, they're at rest. Finally, Paul says, hey, you guys need to, you guys need to just eat something because there's not going to be a hair on anyone's head that, that's here that's going to perish. Having said this, he took bread, and, and he gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it, and he began to eat. And look at the next words. All of them. The centurion in charge of him, uh, the, 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 the vile sailors that may have been on board, all the, everybody else on, and the Bible says that all of them were encouraged by what Paul had said and what Paul was doing, and they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were, were 276 persons. 276 people on, on the ship, including Paul and Luke and Aristarchus. All of these, uh, all these people were 276 guys on this ship. And when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. And when day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach in it. And so they determined to drive the ship onto it if they could. Again, remember, they, the, the ship had been torn apart. They had let down anchors from the rear of the ship. The, the, the rescue boat's gone. The, the sails are tattered. I mean, everything in this ship, they're just trying to make it to a place where they can be safe. And so they see the bay. They see the beach. They intend to make it there. So they cast off the anchors from the back. They left, left them in the sea while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders. And hoisting the foresail to the wind, they were headed for the beach. They were headed for the beach. So again, a prisoner, Paul, who had previously been disregarded, if you've been along the study, you know at one point in time he warns them. He tells them, hey, this is what God said, don't do this. The centurion in charge listens to the experts, which again we talked about would, would make sense. Why am I going to listen to a preacher when I've got the owner of the ship and a guy who sails ships telling us, no, we should do this. And the preacher saying, no, we should do that. Why did I listen to them? They disregarded him. And now, at this point in the study, because of what God has shown up and done, because of the faithfulness of Paul and these men, because of them being who they're supposed to be, at this point, it seems that the influence is being had because of that connection he's had with the Lord. Because of the people of God, who their connection has been obvious, and it has been, their response has been different from everybody else, else in the ship. Which again... I believe should still be the case today. We talked already about how Paul's faith had affected these men, right? They were doing things, they were working, they were trying to do all this stuff. And it's not to say that Christians don't have things to do in this world. Obviously we do. God has us with different professions, whether it be first responders or, or whatever. He has us in all different areas of, of life so that we can have this kind of influence we're seeing here. So, he's, so, so at this point, again, he, he's, he's, he's shown his faith. He's, he's relied on God, and this has affected these men. And we talked about how his, has, had his faith not lined up with his words and vice versa. They probably wouldn't have listened to him at all, period. But he and the, the Christians on, on this ship, we could say the church, the, the, the presence of the church wouldn't have had the impact that it did had their faith not lined up with their words. 
I want us to remember all, all we know is that there was just those few who were followers of Christ. That's all we know. Maybe there were others, but all we know is there were a few on there. And now those few are having an obvious impact because of how they spoke, how they treated each other, and how they were living out their faith even in the midst of a storm. Did you get that? How they spoke, how they treated each other, how they treated the others. And how they were living out their faith in the midst of that storm on that ship. Again, there was a lot of, apparently a lot of lost people in this situation with them. And they saw these few men, and these few men had influenced the, the majority of the lost on them. Again, all because they were being who they were supposed to be, especially in the battle. My heart's been broken in the past few years. I mentioned it before, but I remember in the last few years, people bringing to my attention that there were even church members in our church sharing opinions and beliefs on social media in such a way that division was fostered. And whether it was racial issues, health issues, or what have you, no wonder the response to the crisis was what it was that we went through. See, we didn't see a mass influx of lost people looking for help and hope through the desperate times that we went through in the last few years because the Christians that they knew were talking and living and demonstrating a kind of love and faith that no one else was in this world. No, what was largely seen is Christians being too busy tearing each other up. It's not really what we saw in 2001. I mentioned this recently. It felt like there was a grave, a, a, a serious attack on our nation, and in and, and, and whatever form it, it came in, it seemed like, at, at least at that point in time, uh, again, if you remember, uh, in 2000, we had just come off of Y2K, and the world was going to end. Some of you weren't alive at that point in time, but that's the way it was. In, in 1999, everybody was gearing up, packing up, ready to experience the apocalypse, sat, uh, uh, UFOs coming down, beaming everybody up, whatever. Christians were thinking the rapture was happening, the world's coming to the end, because here's the, here's the thought, young people, because the computers weren't going to be able to tick over from 1999 to 2000. And so it was, oh my goodness, our electricity is going to go down, water systems are going to break, everything's going to fall apart. And guess what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. But then, uh, you know, about a year and nine months later, a couple planes fly into the towers. And in 2000, Y2K, it was, it was right at, and 1999 is when I surrendered into ministry. And, um, and, and, and so I was just pursuing the Lord and, and, and seeking his will and began working here at the, the school and church. And, um, and, and then 2000 came, and so it was all, all new right in the beginning of ministry uh, for me. And I, and I just re remember thinking, uh, wow, this is neat seeing a lot of people, you know, kind of seeking the Lord at that point in time. I mean, it, it really did seem like people were interested in, in trying to find direction and hope and a lot of people came to church around that time as well then and, and then it kind of drifted away and then and then 9-11 happened and then it happened again there was a surge 
You know what? It didn't seem like happened. And, and the enemy was crafty in his attacks in the last few years, especially the last two years. It just didn't happen like that. It's like there was more tearing apart than there was coming together. And some of that resulted in obvious damage to the influence that the church has had over the last couple of years. Even inside the church, some in the church aren't in tune. Inside the church, there's people that exist that they're not seeking how they can in unity as the few in the community point others to Christ. There were a few that were in this ship together. Just a few. But they were there for the same cause. We must be together for Jesus. I love that song they were just singing. Speak the name of Jesus. Man, that is what has to happen. That's what this world needed from the church in the last couple years is Jesus is the hope. Jesus is our help. He, we, that's where our confidence is. That's where, man, why, what's different about these people? Why are these three guys different? Why is that church different? What is going on? Man, Jesus, that's why. Pouring our lives out to reach others, to have the influence, to be the salt, to be the light that Jesus has called the church to be, even in the midst of great peril of life. That's what they were dealing with, 14 days to stop, I mean, uh, on the ship. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you invited somebody to church? It's not time to pray. When's the last time that you invited somebody to church? If it hasn't been recently, if you can say, well, I, I, I don't know if I've invited anybody recently at all. Don't you want them to hear about the Jesus? The only one who can offer hope and help? Man, don't you want them? I mean, I, I, again, thinking about 9-11, thinking about how important it is. You know, we, we've got um, th those, those couple of men in our church and and uh, we've got a, a, a team here that in, ensures the protection of, of our church. And one of the things that's always been talked about is, man, we want to make sure that in case of an emergency, we want people to listen to the directions. Just follow the directions, right? When, when a fireman enters into a situation and he knows what to do and he's trying to help people get to safety, you want, you want those people not to think they know better, but to listen to the instructions. Go this way, get low, stay low, do this, do that. Wouldn't we want the church to have the kind of influence in the world that when people are in a desperate, in a situation where they are needing help and needing hope, that they are willing to listen to the people who know the one who can help them? And why aren't we inviting people to Christ? Why aren't we inviting them to the church? Why aren't we inviting them and living our lives in such a way that when they're going through something, they come to us and say, hey, I knew you invited me to that church before, and I've always blown you off, but I'm going through something I now really need something. Can you tell me more about it? Don't you want those people to experience what it's like to be a part of God's family? Do you enjoy being a part of God's family? Do you enjoy being a son and a daughter of the King of Kings? Don't you want those people to experience that too? Why aren't we doing something about it? Why don't we have the influence 
that even though we may be few, it's, oh, well, I just, there's so many people, there's so many, and people are moving in our community, and there's, there's so many people I come in contact with. Where do I start? Start with one. Start with one. Think about our text again. Paul, these few Christians have these experts. The experts in sailing, they had them listening and relying on them. There used to be a day, and I mentioned it recently, there used to be a day that the church had that type of influence on the, 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 the officials in the city and the, the, the city council and the schools. And the, the church used to have that kind of influence. But what has happened? What's happened that the churches don't have that kind of influence today? That the churches are now we're, we're at a place where all we're doing is griping about what's going on and how far gone that, that things are in our schools and our communities. I believe in large part it's because we have disconnected from the whole reason why we're here. The world says we do this, and so we go do this. Okay. Well, yeah, but what about, what about God? What about his family? What about church? What about this? Well, well, maybe some, God's grace, you know, he'll, he'll understand. That's not what was happening on the ship. And so that's why Paul and these few guys were having a kind of influence that seems kind of other, otherworldly. What is going on? The, the leader, the centurion, the, now the captain of the ship, the owner of the boat, all the sailors are listening to what this preacher is saying. What in the world? He's urged them to eat. He's demonstrated his faith, his reliance on God. And here he is openly praying and giving God the things. Verse 36, all of them were encouraged and they themselves took food. The first point is this, though the church may be few, she should have an apparent influence, influence in the world. Though the church may be few, which Jesus said that. He said that there are few on the narrow road that leads to life. Many on the road that leads to destruction. But though the church may be few, she should have an apparent influence on the world. And we have to look at the, even the culture and the world that we're living in here in America and ask the question, are we having an apparent influence? Because to me, while I see amazing things happening, I, I see God you know, saving souls and, and adding to our church and, and, and a regular flow of, of guests coming. And I see and I, and I hear about stories of, of, of victory in, in your lives and in the lives of others and answered prayer and, and just amazing things. It's, it's amazing. There's no doubt God is still working. But when you take a little bit further view out and you look at the, the community and, and, and a larger, the, the, the work at the enemy, the battle that we're apparently in, is the church having the kind of influence that we should be having? But we should have an apparent influence because of our love, our unity, and our faith. There was a time that the church was unified. And even throughout history, the history of the church, the persecution the church has gone through has produced an even more unified body of believers. And I've said that many times from this pulpit. I, I partially believe that's one of the reasons why that the church isn't as unified as it, as it once was here in America because, man, I'll be honest with you, we live as spoiled people. We oftentimes, as Christians in America, live more for our own interests than the will of the one who saved us. And so the church doesn't experience a great driving together. Man, Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus, they had to stay together. They were the few. And, man, God used that few. God used those just few guys to have an apparent influence. We are called in unity to make an impact. 
You and I, we are called in the unity that only exists within the people of God, within a local church fellowship, within the body of Christ, we are called to make an impact. You see that Paul's words, his faith, the church's unity, the church's togetherness, even if it was three guys, it made an impact that at the end of this violent storm, he prays. And the word says that they were all encouraged. Man, I I pray, I, I would love to see our church have that kind of impact in this community, that they were all affected. They were all encouraged. Man, anytime I get around one of those members, those church members at Trinity Baptist Temple, anytime I read one of their posts, I feel encouraged. I don't know that God they're talking about. I don't know that Jesus they're talking about. But anytime I am around them or read something or or talk to them, I'm I'm encouraged. Again, our lives as a church should be different. should make an obvious impact. Ephesians chapter 5, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as... As Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immortality, I'm sorry, immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather, what is it? Giving of thanks. First, this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Because you were formerly darkness. You used to be idolaters. You used to be immoral. You used to have a a talk that was obviously disconnected from God. Your words, your speech, your attitude, your actions. All of that used to look like darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. What does it say? Don't even participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Your life should not be doing the same things that the lost are doing, he says. But instead, you should be living in a way that exposes the immorality, the covetousness, the idolatry the wrong speech because it's disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret in the dark but he gives this promise but all things become visible when they're exposed by light see that's what ends up happening when the church is who we're supposed to be when we are a light you know what it makes the lost it makes them uncomfortable and it's not because we are self-righteous It's not because we have righteousness in our own or because we're good in ourselves. But if we're allowing the light that's in us, if we are submitted to the Lord, then what ends up happening is people just, they start saying things like this. Well, you just think you're better than everybody else. Well, you're a Bible thumper. You're just a a goody two-shoes. You're always preaching to people. They they say things like that because they, they realize there's an apparent difference. And that's what the Bible says. 
that the light exposes the darkness for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Christian, he's saying, Christian, be careful how you live your life. Don't do it as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, and coming to him to, uh, to, as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, Christians, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, as a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, which the builders rejected, he became the very cornerstone and the stone of stumbling, a rock of offense to those who don't believe. For they stumble because they're disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. But you, Christians, children of God, sons and daughters of the king, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. So that you, here's why that you are this, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people. You used not to be the people of God, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy before. Now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world, you do not fit into this world. Your life, the things you do, the things you say, the way that you think, the way that you approach trials and tragedy and storms and battles, the way all of that, you are foreigners in this land. People look at you and say, why are you doing like that? Paul, why are you praying right now? We got stuff to do. I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage against the soul, wage war against soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the, among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. I'm not going to read all of First Peter. We've done it before. But the second thing I want to point out about this isn't a point this morning. It could be a point, and it kind of leads to the next point, but Paul expressed gratitude even when he was a prisoner on a storm-ravaged ship. Let's say that again. Paul, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a child of God, expressed gratitude in the moment, in the situation, even when he was a prisoner on a storm-ravaged ship. He was giving God thanks. He was giving praise to God. He was offering up something at a time that most people are thinking, why are you just scarfing down the food you had eaten for two weeks? Why, why are you praying and thanking God for this? Eat, man. So important. 
Again, it's connected to this second point. We should exhibit gratitude. And remember that God's got it, even when things get worse. And I put a little tag on this. It's not in your notes. They often get worse. We should exhibit gratitude as the people of God. And remember that God's got it even when things get worse in our life. And they oftentimes get worse. Notice that Paul in verse 35, he prays, again, expressing this thanks to God. And there's, there's this great response, right? That's what every preacher, that's what every Christian, I think, right? You've invited that person, you've invited that person, you witnessed that person, you witnessed that person. And finally they come and they say, man, I thank God for you. I gave my life to Christ. You know, I, I came to church. My, the Lord's changed my life. I, I, I'm a different person. I pray. Again, whenever you see, you know, the Lord do that work, you're like, man, this is great. It's amazing. I think, I think Paul and, and, and Luke and Aristarchus, they were probably all, whenever Paul does this, and, and, and they saw that all, everybody on the ship, 270, whatever, 273 guys, we're all encouraged. And what an encouragement for them. And then boom! <laughs> gotcha, didn't I? No. That's what happened to them. Look what happens next, verse 41, and we'll wrap it up. But striking a reef. Oh, great. We just let we just got rid of the rescue boat, right? We just cut off the anchors and, and they were all in, right? They were all in. No more anchors, rescue boat gone, storm tattered ship listening to the preacher, let's go, we're going to the beach, let's, let's get to land and finally get out of this situation, be done with this thing, and boom, striking a reef where two seas meet. They ran the vessel aground, the prow of the boat struck fast and remained immovable, in other words, it basically got high-centered on a reef, but the stern, that's okay, well, is this, how bad is this situation? Well, it got really bad because the back of the ship began to break up because the waves were crashing against it. Oh, great. The ship's falling apart now. <laughs> it's a really good situation here, preacher. Thanks. So the soldiers, you know what we're going to do? We're sick of this. Kill those guys. <laughs> the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners. We'll just deal with this because, you know, we're tired of all of this. They don't want them to escape. They don't want to be in trouble because they let them escape. So all the soldiers that were with, uh, the, under the centurion, they were like, hey, we're just kill the prisoners and, and, and figure out a way for us to get safe, safely to shore. Look what happens. The centurion in charge, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention. That's weird. And commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest should follow. Some grab a plank, grab anything that floats, Others on various things from the ship. And so it happened as they were all brought safely to land. Exactly how God promised it. Exactly how God said. Now again, it didn't mean that the trial, the storm, became even more detrimental. It got worse. Obviously, they were no longer on the ship. Now they're floating on pieces of wood and other things as they're just trying to make it safely. But the promise was actually fulfilled that no one's life was going to be lost who stayed on the ship. Right, and sometimes in our life we're like, man, this trial, when's it going to end? It ends. We're like, oh, praise God. You see God working and moving, and then something else, boom, comes back, or that comes back. 
Like, oh, I thought God had... Can you imagine this? You've remained faithful. Your faith as a Christian, your testimony, you've stayed faithful to God. You've tried to stay in his word, pray, witness, be faithful to church, encourage other people, serve the Lord, and all those things. You, you've seen, you, you've been tested, and, and you've passed several tests. God has brought you through different things. Others, it's been obvious God has used your life as a vessel, and other people have been impacted. Maybe they haven't been saved, but they're influenced. Maybe you're hanging on a prayer that they will embrace the Savior in the same way that you have. Then boom, something happens. Something worse happens. That's exactly what happens. The ship gets high-centered and is literally being torn apart. Panic sets in, no rescue boat, kill the guys, kill the prisoners so they don't escape. Are you there? Put yourself there. Does your heart race even more? Your, your, your wide-eyed response right here, you are. You've, you've been faithful. You've been the servant of God. You've been through all this. You've tried to encourage. 273 guys have been impacted by, by the, the, the testimony of your life. And, and you're like, oh, whew, we're going to make it to shore. And thank you, Lord. You know, you can imagine Paul, maybe Luke, Aristarchus, maybe they're, they're all just thanking God, man, thank you. And then the ship goes to ground, it's falling apart, and you start hearing these vicious Roman soldiers saying, kill the prisoners. Huh? <laughs> God, what? You know, we've been faithful this whole time, and you brought us this far, and this is how it's going to end? The, the Roman soldier's going to kill us on the ship as it's falling apart? That's how it's going to end? Grabbing knives, maybe, and they're coming at you. What in the world is happening, God? But the centurion who's in charge steps in and says no. His neck's on the line. He wanted to make sure the prisoners were delivered safely to Nero. It definitely got worse. They were no longer floating on a ship. They were floating on planks and having to swim themselves to shore. But do you think that Paul or Luke or Aristarchus were swimming or floating on planks, questioning God's word and his promise? God, you promised to bring us safely to shore. And here I am in this shark-infested sea, and, and I'm on a piece of wood. I don't even know. I tend to think they weren't questioning God like that. Look at everything God had done for them. What, what was his promise to them? That they would all be spared, even if they had to get out of the ship, even when they had to float or swim. They were floating or swimming on God's promises. And I want to encourage you to do the same. You may have even been slammed out of the ship of the storm that you're in. But keep swimming on the promises that God has given you. Keep resting on his word. And I want to remind you of this, Christian. I mean, I'm going through something right now. We're dealing with something. Look. He's brought you through every trial that you've ever been through in your life. Think about that. Every trial in the past is past. He's brought you through them. And the one you're in now, he'll bring you through. It's one of many reasons that you can praise him in the storm. It's one of many reasons in the midst of a storm you can, you can give God thanks 
See, I don't, I don't think that we should only express gratitude when things are going our way and things are easy. But we should do it when things are difficult too. I don't, uh, here's the thing too. I think that we should be grateful even when things are good. Because as I said earlier, I think that we can become very much spoiled. Not grateful for the little blessings and the big ones. We can, I think, as Christians in this nation especially, expect good all the time. Right? And so when everything's good, health's good, money's good, relationship's good, kids aren't being fools, whatever, you know, I mean, everything's amazing. And, and what ends up happening in those times? It can be so good and we can be so spoiled that we forget to say, God, thank you. We can also forget God's merciful in giving us another day, even if another day of a trial, to glorify him. See, I'm guilty of this too. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. But we forget that the best that you and I deserve is hell. What we deserve is hell. We forget that. Because what I'm good at and you're good at, what our flesh is good at, is sinning. It really is. We are, we are really good at sinning. But God is merciful. And he's rich in mercy. And the Bible says every day, every morning, his mercies are new. Praise God for that. That's why we read verses like this and we should keep them. Psalm 107, 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 116, 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? Ephesians 5, 20. Always giving thanks. Listen, for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Colossians 2, 7, having been firmly rooted and now I'm being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with what? With gratitude. Colossians 3, 5, uh, 15 through 17, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, Christians, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell uh, richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with what? Thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, church. Let's remember this morning we've been called to be salt and light. We've been called to make an obvious impact because Christ in us. And let's remember that part of that is living with a gratitude that's otherworldly. Living with a, a, a thanksgiving and living with faith even in trials that tend to get worse. What are, why are those people dealing with it like this? Why are they, in the midst of this trial, it seems like they're going to church more often. In the, in the midst of the trial, it seems like they're singing louder. In the midst of the trial, it seems like they're praying more often. In the midst of the trial, it seems like they're closer. 
In the midst of the trial, it seems like they love each other more. What's different about those people? They have Christ in them. The hope of glory. God's got it. And he's got us. We need to remember, if he called everything into existence out of nothing, by the power of his word, which the Bible says he did, and he calms the seas with the same powerful word, then we need to remember that he is not only holding us, but he's holding everything with the same powerful word still today. Trust him. Man, let's be together. Let, let's make sure that we are being the influence that Christ has called us to be. I don't know what lies ahead. I don't know what trial or storm. I don't know if gas prices is going to go to $10 a gallon. So Lord forbid, you know. I, I, don't, I don't know if, if, if the, 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 the economy is going to crash, the government's going to fail, the nation's going to crumble. I don't know any of that, but I, you know what I do know? God is on the throne, and he's got it. Whatever we go through, whatever ship we're on, whatever storm it is, even if the back of the ship is falling apart in the waves and, and we have to float on a, a piece of wood in the ocean, God will keep his promises and he will never fail. Be encouraged with that. If you're here this morning and you don't have that hope, if you don't have that confidence in God's word because you've never repented of your sins and turned to faith in Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm standing on this platform begging you please don't leave today without having a conversation with somebody about that. It's the difference between going to heaven for eternity and going to hell for eternity. Is your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't leave this place. You can come to this altar. You're a lady. We can have a lady talk with you. You're a guy. We can have a guy talk with you. We can talk with you before you leave this place, but please don't leave here. If you don't, you're not 100% positive that you're going to heaven when you die because you put your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time again. Thank you for all that you do in our life. Lord, thank you for this, this study that we're going through. Again, we're trying to learn the lessons that you've preserved for us in your word. And I know this has been a long study and we walk, walk verse by verse, but we've tried to gain as many of the lessons as we can, Lord, from the church in the beginning so that we could be the church in the end that you've called us to be. Lord, we see these lessons before us and, and while it may be hard for us to relate exactly. I, I know I've never been on a sinking ship like that, a, a, a literal sinking ship. I've never been in a storm for two weeks, not knowing when the last wave is going to hit and, and, and take, take my life. I've never been in that situation. But we see your people responding to that trial and the influence, the apparent impact and influence it had on the people around them. And it, it does give us encouragement and hope and, and help for what we face in our life. Well, we have been through storms, even as a church, as a, as a nation. And again, I pray you just help us to learn these lessons and apply them in our life. That our faith, our love, our unity, the impact, again, that we have is, is obvious to those in need. Lord, we ask you to bless now as we respond to your word. And just be glorified in this. And we ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I want to invite you to come.